Mach es! You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. And that was brand new from Canada's metal god, Vancouver's metal god, Eric Hamber, secondary school's metal god, Thor, with Here Comes Thor. And Thor will be playing a gig next Wednesday night at the Railway Club, March 5th, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thor! Here comes Thor next Wednesday to the Railway Club with the Blue Ticks. Uh, more on them later on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. And today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Biz Marquis and Wycliffe John. Today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, Biz Marquis and Wycliffe Sean, and to prepare you, as I always say, I don't always say the word, and if I'm always saying the word and you're hearing my word always, always, always over and over again, why don't you always kind of think about something else? And I think you should think about this. Coming up to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, you can join CITR and you can say the word always and you can say the word prepared for because for $20 for UBC students, 30 for non-students, you can join CITR and get your own radio show or write for Discord or Magazine or do news or do sports or play songs by bands such as Chad Allen and Reflections. Here's Chad Allen and Reflections from 1962 with 36... 24... 36... <laughs>
You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar de Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard Betty Cracker with Social Class Welfare. And Betty Cracker are actually playing on, coming up on... They are playing on Thursday, March the 13th at the Railway Club. So we have some information to parlay to you here. We just heard Betty Cracker with Social Class Welfare. And before that, we heard the Blue Ticks who have a Thor connection. And you'll have to go to the Railway Club next March the 5th, next Wednesday, March the 5th, to go check out to see what the Thor connection is to the Blue Ticks. So we played Betty Cracker. Then before that, yes, we heard the Blue Ticks with the Thor connection. Check them out March 5th at their Railway Club. And before that, we played Chad Allen and the Reflections with 36-24-36, a cover of The Shadows. And this is from a brand new CD, Chad Allen and The Reflections, put out on the Regenerator Records record label. First thing on the brand new local Regenerator Records record label. And it's a compilation of all Chad Allen and The Reflections recordings, about 27 of them. And Chad Allen, early roots of the Guess Who? Chad Allen and The Reflections. And we began the Nardwarda Human Serviette radio show with Thor. Here comes Thor, and Thor will be playing March 5th at the Railway Club. And Betty Cracker will be playing the following Thursday, March 13th. We just ended there with Betty Cracker with Social Class Welfare. And they will be playing at the Railway Club on Thursday, March 13th at 9.30 p.m. $8 at the door to go see Betty Cracker. On the Nardwarda Human Serviette radio show today... An interview with Bismarcky and an interview with Wycliffe Jean. Right now, here's some Bismarcky. Hey, hey, hey. You know what I heard? You just only skin deep. Ugliest to the bone. In the days, I'm not gonna lie. They used to say I'm ugly, a hurting guy. They would crack on my lips and my powder. Said I look like yuck without the house or weird how. Junior high or high school, they thought I was retarded. Just because the way I looked it, they said I farted. I was very, very sad, and you wonder why. Because my looks and my gear wasn't ultra fly. I wouldn't even attempt to ask a girl out. Cause she get around her friends and began to shout. Guess who asked me out to the movies, girlfriends? It was Mark, I told them if the world would end. But my parents told me beauty's only skin deep. If that's true, then why do girls think that I'm a creep? I even joined a football team to get some recognition. But that those didn't spark the key in a girl's ignition. They said that I'm so ugly, I give Addison a headache. Oh, man, that is the icing on the cake. So I get this to all the girls from houses to huts. I don't care what you think, because you're all a nuts. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? If you don't like the way I look, you can kiss my butt. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? So what? Ew. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? If you don't like the way I look, you can kiss my butt. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? So what? 
I'ma tell you a story that is really bucked about a guy with a band and he's dealing drugs. In the beginning, before he got his riches, he was so ugly, he gave me the itches. I mean, when you see him, you think I might be kooky, but homeboy look like um, Godzuki. I used to crack a joke and say he looked like a star. Then everybody laughed when I said, on star. I can't laugh now, cause it's a new decade. My gruesome friend got the girls and got a maid. I guess having jewels, having money, having a vehicle. Makes you sexy, handsome, gorgeous, and adorable. When you're spending money on the girls, giving them what they want. Behind your back, they talk about you, say you're ugly in your front. Why do you go to bed with somebody that you don't like? Just because they got a nice car like Reverend Ike. It would be wrong if you heard what you're thinking. Thinking that he looks like um, stinking Jenkins. But let me tell you a secret. He has ESP, and this is what he whispered in my ear to me. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? Just because I got loose, that's why you give me the butt. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? So what? I'm a ugly nigga, so what? Just because I got loose, that's why you give me the butt. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? So what? Let me tell you how poor I was. Don't to the do and do to the don't. For the dome, I go to school and for the do, I use a comb. Now, people always ask, how are these things known? Cause the dome does the doing for the things that done at home. That's why I keep picking my nappy fro. And for lunch, I eat ragu with my sloppy joe. But at night, I be starving. Like messy Marvin, I get cheaper, go settle for the White Castle bargain. They offer me a lot in the army, but I'd rather get it secondhand from the Salvation Army. Cause times are getting harder than boot camp. Man, I'm so poor, I need to print my face on a boot. Cause if my hoopty breaks down, I just have to suffer and tell my Nikki. I'm not gonna pay a lot for this muffler. So I keep clear thoughts as the weeks run. But even though the beaches, they call me a beach bum. Something ain't right with me, and that really frightens me. Cause nowadays, girls don't even like to sprite me. Some say I'm embarrassing, but I got some comparison. Like if I was on TV, I'm moving Oscar Madison. Is there another like me? Only God knows, man. I shouldn't even rap in church cause I wear holy clothes. But for now, I'm just going to do the strut. And this is what I sing to girls from houses to I'm a ugly nigga, so what? Just because I'm poor, that's why you want to eat the butt? I'm a ugly nigga, so what? So what? It says beauty's only skin deep. I'm a ugly nigga, so what? Just because I'm poor, you don't want to eat the butt? I'm a ugly nigga, so what? So what? It don't matter. It don't matter. Because I'm guaranteed to climb up the ladder. And at once. At once, I was never, ever, ever a dunce. I'm off the incorrect. I choose to give it to Becca the revolution. Who are you? I am the diabolical, energetical, poetical, numerical, numerical man, B.I.Z. Marquis. <laughs> Marquis, welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Welcome, welcome. Hello, how you do? So it is true then. You have one house to live in and another house to house all your Barbies. To all my toys. How many Barbies are in the house? What is your Barbie collection up to, Biz? I got every one. I just got to go get the newest ones. Like, I think there's three new ones that just came out. What are they? 
I don't know. But how do you know that there's new ones then? How do you keep track on Barbies, Biz? Somebody tells me. Somebody tells me. So one house to live in, another house filled with Barbies, records, collectibles. Toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my little toy house. Biz Murky, who is Master Ace? Master Ace is a person from the Juice Crew. And he had a record that mentioned you, didn't he? Yeah, me and the Biz. I, I wasn't in the record, though. How would you describe the cover of that record, Biz Marquis? It got a, it got a puppet on there of me. And that's what I was wondering about. Did that record inspire you to create Biz, the greatest doll there ever was, the Biz Marquis doll? Could you explain about this? No, I've been had this idea. It's just that it took so long to get developed. Now, could you say why this is the most amazing doll? Because it is. Other rappers have dolls, Biz, but you take it to another level. So here we have it. In a, could you explain a bit about this, the cereal? Well, it's like this. I always wanted a cereal. That's one thing. And another thing is, this is a box where if you, with a doll, you squeeze the stomach, it does the beatbox. So you can open the box. Can you pull out the doll and show to people? Because it isn't just some... Not all dolls are this awesome, are they, Biz Marquis? Nah. Oh, got my... Oh, yeah, let me get a hat. The hat may be missing, or is a hat... What are the accessories that come with the doll, Bismarcky? Uh, hat, finger, and look there. Nothing really coming out, but what should be... Oh, and what is the doll saying? I want to, I want to. And Bismarcky, what is the finger for? To pick pick my nose. And the shoes as well are pretty impressive. Those are pretty impressive shoes, aren't they? Could you explain? Here we are at a sneaker pimps event, but what's the deal on the shoes? Oh, these look like pro cads, because, you know, that's what I used to like to wear. So, Biz, you have the doll here, but you just didn't stop with the doll, did you? You took it to another level. You took it, Biz Marquis, to the level of the clock. Just taking it to the clock. Oh, oh. you just dropped me. You dropped you. You dropped me. I thought no, you, you dropped you. <laughs> it's okay. It's for kids. It's, it should be able to take it. What oh, is this, Bismarcky? Could you explain? So you have the doll. Now, what is this? This is something I did with Echo. Uh, a clock. It's a. Uh, it's a clock to make you wake up. And it's got the classic biz look in there, doesn't it? What is the classic biz look? Ah, with my mouth open. Ah. So did they approach you, or did you approach them for this clock? Oh, they approached me. What do you think about the other people that have clocks? For instance, do you realize there, Bismarcky, that you've been paving the way for all these people? Who do we have here that has a clock? Flavor. Oh, I didn't even... Hey, sir. MC Search. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know he had a clock. MC Search from Third Base. Oh, yeah, that's my boy. How did you, could you explain about Third Base and the clock here, Bismarck? The only thing I know is Third Base was a great group. That's all I can tell you. Bismarck, you're here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I want to ask you a bit about records and stuff. Did records really save your life? Records really saved my life. I thought some records saved your life. Like somebody shot at you oh, and a record. Oh, no, no, no. See, I wasn't in that car. They shot at uh, Shantae and uh, my man Jeff and... Uh, 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 but they uh, shot at some people. Yeah, and my re- my records was there. And since you know how we packed the records real tight, bullets went in there and it only like broke two or three records. So, like, records saved lives. Yes, it does. And, Bismarcky, do you sometimes go to funerals to get records? No, I don't go to funerals. Never, no. What is the farthest you've gone to get a record? I thought maybe you befriended people that maybe had some funerals and you were able to pick up some stuff. Have you ever picked up anything at a funeral? 
Well, not at a funeral per se, but after a funeral I did. Piss Marquis, what instance was that? What record did you pick up? Do you remember? I can't tell you that. Because all the labels are washed off. Nah, they, I just can't tell you. It's a special record. Piss Marquis, what can you tell me about this particular record? I'm always confused by it. The Bob James Mardi Gras sample. What is the Bob James Mardi Gras sample? And the importance to hip-hop of that. Bob James... Mardi Gras sample is the same thing that uh, Run DMC used for Peter Piper. Uh, I think it was founded by my man Mr. C from uh, from back back in the day, and Grandmaster Flash was one of the first ones to play it. But this don't look like a real one. This is like a repress. Now, how many of the real ones are there, Bismarck? Because you say you have one of the few copies of this particular one. record. I have the copy I have is a, a, a white test press with the bells missing, and I will play it tonight. Now, I want to ask you about the reissues and stuff like this. Have you seen this Mardi Gras reissue? Like, other people have edit versions of Mardi Gras out there. Oh, my man put this out. And who is that? I can't tell you his name, but he put it out. Lenny? Nah, Lenny didn't put this one out. That's another version of the Mardi Gras. So you maybe have the only record, but other people can actually still play it. Well... Uh, it's just two different versions. There's like four or five different versions of Mardi Gras. You got the one they played in Wild Style. You got this version. You got the Tapan Z version that's just like this, but it's the repress of this. Miss Marquis, speaking of samples and stuff, are drums free? Is it free to sample drums? <laughs> to me it is, if you, if you disguise it better, good enough. Marquis, when you're DJing, you're me DJing here tonight, you don't need headphones, do you? Sometimes I don't. Depends what I'm doing. Like, how can you do it without the headphones? Is that old school, doing without the headphones? No, it's just that if you know your record's good enough, you and if you backspin it and you know your record's good enough. Now, you really are a guy that loves records because you threw down your doll, you threw down the clock, but you're not throwing down the records. You love the records, don't you, Bismarck? I throw them down, too. <laughs> hey, they, they're your records. <laughs> Bismarcky, when you're actually up there DJing and stuff, how do you use your body? Like, you use your body DJing, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. What elements do you use your body? I use my tummy, I use my mouth, I use my elbows, I use everything. Chains should somebody wear when they're DJing? What's the look you should have for DJing? You have three chains on there right now. Now, nah, usually, if it depends what I'm doing, I take them off so I won't get them caught on the uh, mixer. How do you get chains? I understand that you got that cassette chain just for asking for it. Like you saw somebody styling that cassette chain, you said, I want it, and they gave it to you. Oh, yeah, that was at uh... the Hero Ballroom? Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, Yeah, I want that. He said, Give me a shout out. And I gave him a shout-out, and he gave it to me. So would that work for me if I just walk up to somebody and say, give me a chain? How does that work? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work for you. How long has that been working for you, getting the chains? Just the first time. I buy, I buy everything else. When you're DJing up there, working it out, what sort of parties have you played, Bismarck? Did you really DJ an event with Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, and Al Sharpton in the audience? Oh, yeah, that was in Boston. What was that all about? All those people in the audience. That was a Democratic Party. That was a Democratic Party. That was when uh, Kerry was trying to run for uh, president. So, what were you playing for them? I was playing everything, just like a regular party. So, you're playing all the stuff. 
The other time I was looking at some sort of information on you, Biz Marquee, and I saw that someone was upset in Portland that you weren't rapping and jumped up on stage, like a lady jumped up on stage and said, rap, rap, rap to you. Does anybody get mad you're not necessarily rapping when you're DJing? Well, two different... Well, there's two different things. Like, if I'm getting paid to rap, that's a show. If I'm getting paid to DJ, that's DJing. That's two different things. You know, some people try to get slick and try to book me for one thing and want me to do both at the same time. You can't get that. Mrs. Marquis, speaking of the woman and whatnot... A guy I know from Rocktober magazine, his name is Jason, he did this little comic here. And in the comic it said, me and a friend were flying to New Orleans. You ever been there? That city is a party. Anyway, we had a layover in St. Louis at the O-Fort. We started talking to these two girls and they were feeding us and they were feeling us. And then we saw the biz... Yeah. We saw the Biz Marquee. Next thing I know, Biz's boys is chatting up our girls. Then Biz rolls up, and they all go off together. And now we're standing there all alone. I don't remember that. But what I mean, does that happen often there, Biz Marquee? Nah, it never happened to me. Like you never, like you just were able to walk in a room and the girls come right towards you? Never did that. Here you are in Canada. What do you like about Canada? You like the malt vinegar Pringles? I ain't even had them yet. What sort of Canadian food are you up with there, Biz? <laughs> I had I had fish and chips today. That's all I had. Because I got in late. Did you DJ a midget convention once in Canada? <laughs> yeah. This guy keeps asking me crazy questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. How could it be a crazy question if the answer is yes? I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> All right, Zed, all right, Zed, all right, all right. Uh, lastly here, winding up, Bismarck, I'd like to ask about something that comes from Vancouver and is very close to my heart. Here it is, this record, The Incredible Bongo Band. What can you tell the people about this record here, The Incredible Bongo Band? Well, I can tell you one thing about this is that Apache, one of the, one of the, one of the first B-Boy records is off this diss and bongo rap. And it was recorded, and this is what is really interesting. If you look closely on the back there, this is pretty much the foundation of hip-hop, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the, fo- it's one of the records' foundations. And look where it was recorded. Special thanks to Canbase Studios in... Vancouver. So isn't that amazing that the foundation of hip-hop was recorded in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Bismarcky? No, that's just one record. That's not the foundation of hip-hop. But one of the things, one of the building blocks. One of the building block, though. One record is not the foundation of hip-hop. Oh, could we say it's a building block? It's not a building block. It's just one record. Just one record, one record of... Don't make, don't, one record don't make a show. But it's one fine it's record, not, though. It is a fine... The thing is, when we got it, we never got the album. We got the, we got the 12-inch, and it didn't say all that on it. It says Iraq All Stars. It never said. Uh, it never said Michael Viners. Do you collect your own stuff? Like, for instance, Bismarcky, do you have the cassette single? Your own cassette single? <laughs> yes, I do. I think I got one of these. I love the cassette singles. What do you think about the cassette single? That was a great format, wasn't it? Oh, that was great. That was great. That was great. Do you have any rap eight tracks? Was any rap on eight track? There must have been some rap on eight track. I got like three rap eight tracks. I got a Flash and Furious Four. I got a L Brothers, and I got a Funky Four on eight track. That's amazing that that stuff came out in eight track. Yeah, but at that time people was recording eight track. That was like seventy eight, seventy nine. 
about video discs. Were you ever down with the video discs? For instance, a movie that I think you auditioned for. Did you audition for this movie right here, Beat Street? Yep, I auditioned and they turned me down. Why was that? I don't know. I guess they liked the Dougie better. And this is Beat Street, and it's on video disc. This is video disc, another format. Wow. Where you went to the video disc. Have you seen much stuff on video disc before, Bismarck? Not much on video disc. Lastly here, Bismarck, what can you tell me about the importance here of Chunky A, Arsenio Hall? I can't even tell you nothing, but Arsenio is my man, but that's not real rap. And that's what I was wondering, Bismarck, if you could end this interview right here. I have this little item, a little collectible right here. This is from Hammer's appearance on the Arsenio Hall show right here, a little hip-hop collectible. Were you down with the MC Hammer? you got to give MC Hammer some props, right? Hammer is my man. He was cool. I was wondering, could you do the Meow Mix beatbox for us? No, 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 no. Just kick it out at the end? Peace out. Oh, almost, Bismarck. Okay, well, thanks, Bismarcky. Thanks for your time. Peace out. Keep on rocking in the free world and do All right. do do the loot do do do. Have you ever met a that you tried to date? Get a make love shoe. You to wait. Let me worry in my situation. I was talking to this girl. U.S. Nation. One, two, one, two. This is a crew, you know what I'm saying? We just gonna get down. My name is uh, Pitbull. Got my man Kofi at the home. At the home thing. And I can't forget my man. Everett is there. We gonna get a little tough. I like to give a very special one thanks to my man LD on Brachard. And I like to kick a little something like this. Check it out, baby. Words of wisdom, knowledge of understanding. To be like me, take practice and plan it. Come out fresh like a grand opening. Fender, bender, long shot, lender. Kareem J, the name from Blue Alcinder. The ball fucker, the 80 Mustafa. The mad hopper, the Cindy Lover. To be and not to be a celebrity. A little comedy with Eddie Murphy. Grandmaster Flash, Treacherous 3, and the king of rockers, Run DMC. Call the girls and boys like to make noise. Crazy gents spending dollars and cents. Women and men that borrow and lend. And all the children that try to pretend to be a prince. Lever. Oh, Jackson, now my man Michael loves the eat cycle. Crazy when Jones the gravy train. My great day Joe reads about the household with the bebop product that'll help him grow. We don't give him milk because they give them the crabs. We feed them all sausages and liver snacks. But seriously, I'm in a place to be. But it ain't a place to be without me. I heard it's an age. I rather Talking have to me. this girl from the U.S. nation. The way that I met her was on tour at a concert. She had long hair and a short miniskirt. I just got on stage dripping pouring with sweat. I was walking through the crowd. And guess who I met? I whispered in the air, come to the picture booth so I can ask you some questions to see if you're 100 proof. I asked her her name. She said, blah, blah, blah. She had nine, ten pants and a very big bra. I took a couple of flicks and she was enthused. I said, how do you like the show? She said, I was very amused. I started throwing bass. She started throwing back mid-range. But when I sprung the question, she acted kind of strange. Because when I asked, do you have a man? She tried to pretend. She said, no, I don't. I only have a friend. Come on.
I'm not even going for it. Here's what I'm going to say. to the cassette single. You can hear it there in the background playing of Bismarcky's Just a Friend on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show on CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. That was Bismarcky. And before that, an interview with Bismarcky. And you did hear Bismarcky's Just a Friend cassette single with stops and all. Right now, coming up, an interview with Wycliffe Jean. But first, some more Biz Marquis. One, two, one, two. One, two. All I'd say, huh? my man's Norm in the house. Can't forget my man Todd in the house. Man Swan in the house. 
You and you are me, therefore, I am why Clef and you are Nardwar the human serviette. You know what it is, baby, the same thing. And we was talking about your shirt earlier. I need one of those. You really want one? If this was 1989, this shirt would be gone for me. How, why, how is that? 
that shirt'll be gone from you, man. I come up to you and be like, "Yo, homie, that's a nice shirt. Let me borrow it." And you that would have happened where? Brooklyn, baby. I would ask you to borrow the shirt. I would have took it, and then you would have came back like Clef. You got my shirt. I'd be like, I got you, man. Just wait another week. <laughs> Wycliffe, do you make people lucky? How come you make people lucky? I mean, you know, uh, sometimes they call me the wizard. You know what I'm saying? So you come to the studio, and you come to the wizard. And you say, hey, Mr. Wizard, I need a top ten on the billboard. Can you help me out? And um, I go into this magic potion, you know, and I say, I can't make no promises, but we'll try but you make people lucky even just by being around them. Like, did a roadie for the Fugees once win $21 million in, like, a lottery? Yeah, 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 definitely. How do you know about that? <laughs> That's like I heard a roadie for the Fugees. A roadie or the sound connection went, like, 21 or $22 million. Yeah, 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 a roadie. So you know what that means after this. You got limos. Yeah, yeah. Right from the beginning, you guys got the limos. Man, I got the limos. I got the planes from the beginning, baby. Get it straight. Not the limos. <laughs> but one thing you don't have Wycliffe is a doll. There's no Wycliffe doll. How come there's no Wycliffe Jean doll? It's still a little early. You know what I'm saying? I want to pace myself. You know what I mean? Like, I want a good, like, 35 years in the game. And um, I'm not ready for the doll yet. I'm not ready yet. Now, Biz Marquis, are you familiar with Biz Marquis at all, Wycliffe? He's Biz Marquis. The, uh, he has tons of dolls and stuff like that. And I notice you're together with Bismarcky. You both are together in the $50 million pound challenge. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh the 50 but I lost my weight already. What was that about? I lost my weight already, man. I'm in perfect shape. You got to give yourself initiatives. Like, what are you trying to get to, right? So me... I came at one time, I came 190, baby. Well, what was that for? You and Bismarcky were like saying we could lose weight on behalf of America. You're trying to get people to lose weight in America. What was that? You just got to be more conscious and get people to lose weight because the important thing right now is you're in a state where your health matters. You know what I'm saying? And the initiative of health is very important because we're all trying to live now, you know? Wycliffe, speaking of $50 million and your $50 million car collection. Man, yo, how you know my whole business, man? Well, you're Wycliffe. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, as someone collects Picassos, which are great artifacts, um, I, I collect cars. Um, and, and you I, give them away. Did you give one of your cars away? Someone is going to win one of the cars from the Carnival 2. Actually, I, don't I thought have, they already won it in December. You haven't given it away yet? I, did, I didn't give it away yet because they got to get their lucky ticket. You know what I'm saying? Once they get that, the, coos, the car is a 1932 Zebra. Incredible car. Wycliffe, is there a stolen car dance? Yes, there is. It's called a stolen car. You might see it on YouTube. Get it. And you know Newark, New Jersey. You know what I mean? You get in the car, you whip it. Once you whip it, take off, baby. <laughs> take off, baby. Take off. The stone still didn't do it, man. Take off in the car, man. Uh, we have more important things. We have car. more important things here, Wycliffe. This gentleman right here, the elephant man. Yes, this is my brethren right here, man. And here he is doing the Sesame Street theme. The elephant man is on your new CD, and you have some Sesame Street connections, <laughs> don't you, with Elmo? Yo, listen, you know what's funny about that is that my little daughter is like two and a half, right? And I forgot, I mean, I'm real connected with Elmo, but another person I'm real tight is was Cookie Monster. We're real tight. We're real good friends. What's up, Cookie Monster? And the thing about it is, 
I'm in the studio with my daughter, and I put her to sit down, and I forgot that I did something with the Cookie Monster, and I put on the CD, and she comes running to see her, Daddy, the Cookie Monster. So I go run, and then it's me and the Cookie Monster mm-hmm. dancing. Wycliffe, what about South Park? South Park and Bubble Goose. What is Bubble Goose? You did something with South Park. What is a Bubble Goose? I mean, a Bubble Goose was something I came and did with Rick Rubin, um, genius, wizard. Who you thank on your new CD. Yes, and um, with Rick Rubin, he had an idea with the South Park. Like, I had a song on, on, the, on the carnival, which was called You Can Catch a Bullet on Your Bubble Goose. The Bubble Goose was a, bo- a goose that we... We wore back in Brooklyn this real leather goose, and you stand on the corner like this with the goose. And basically, we're saying no matter how tough you are, at the end of the day, you could still catch a bullet star. So you have to be careful. Wycliffe, I also want to ask you about this gentleman right here, the Charmer. He is on your CD, Farrakhan as the Charmer, right? Yeah, yeah, you have it right here. What can you tell the people about the Charmer, Louis Farrakhan? Well, I could tell you what I could tell you about the minister, Louis Farrakhan, is that this is why he's on the CD. And this is what I love about the minister, because a lot of times, a lot of people take the minister so seriously that they forget that the minister is a great musician. And there you have it right here. You know what I mean? And on the political tip, you did Yes, We Can Obama. You've helped out with Yes, We Can Obama. Do you know right now there's Yes, We Can McCain? Um, there's like a, there's like no, a no, comeback no. to that. Listen, I haven't done Yes, We Can Obama yet. Uh, Will I Am did. John Legend did. And then did I'm, you help out with that, though? No, no, no. And they have a Yes, We Can McCain, right? So now, tomorrow... I'm about to shoot my official if I was president, okay? So now I'm going to go against McCain. You know what I'm saying? So get ready for the retaliation, Republicans, because I'm coming. <laughs> Wycliffe, Sean, on a political tip, here we are lastly in Canada. Now, do you know there's some Canadian connections to Wycliffe, Sean? <clears throat> yeah, I got a little connection. Well, the first one I want to mention is Mikhail Jean, the Governor General of Canada, is from Haiti. Yes, she's definitely from uh, from Haiti. She is definitely a Jean. And she's the Governor General appointed by the Queen. Canadian connection. Definitely. Big time connection. Shout out to her. We spoke a few times. She talks about a lot, some of the initiatives she want to do um, to go into some of the ruined communities. And I look forward in partnering up with her and making it happen. And another Canadian connection is you in the Fuji's did the song Nappy. Hit. And you sampled Canadian Corey. Go ahead, tell me. Corey Hart. I know Salam sampled him. No, you sampled him. I know. I'm well, te- the Fujis so repped Corey Hart, didn't you? I know. Sunglasses I- at night. You got to give him a Corey Hart. <laughs> you got to give the Corey Hart some all juice. All right, let me do that. Corey, let me tell Corey the true story. Corey, listen, man. When I was working in the fact, um, and at night with my father, the joint came on. And I was like 16. I wear my sunglasses at night so I can't. And all I was like is, one of these days when I make it, I'm going to sing this Corey song. So big up to you. Love that record. Nappy heads by the Fugees. Well, thanks so much, Wycliffe, Jean. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Yo, you got the new CD, Carnival 2? Because you're an expert. You bought all of this stuff here, but you have not shown the people my freaking CD. Why? Do you not like me? These things are all over your new CD. Elephant Man, Farrakhan, of course it is. Let me tell you, though, I ain't going to lie to you. This is very impressive, man. And then you know he's playing violin, too, on the CD. That's what's up, man. Why should people care about Wycliffe Jean, Wycliffe? Because Wycliffe cares about people. 
Oh, wait. Well, thanks much, Wycliffe Jean. Keep on rocking in the free world and do, 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 do. Let me get that sweater. Uh, almost. <laughs> do, 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 do. Do, do. So Mr. Wacky, you ready to take them back to be a bit so badly? That one named Sesame Street in a colors. I think name cartoon car. Ready, 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 ready. It's that time again when Bogla does and take it. I don't see them as a dandy. Ready, 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 ready. Want to show them how to do it. Come on, dance name Sesame Street. Ready, ready, you dance name Sesame Street. Everybody dance to this. I'm ready, ready, ready. Why do you have to be Sesame Street? Ready, ready, from the country to this Sesame Street. I'm ready, 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 ready. Them one come down when they blow them my godly. Watch it, make me show them the young so badly. Them a sad pull, pull frag, be a bit tadly. Watch it, make me show them the young so badly. We not afraid of two fears. Who that one take Bradley? Watch it, make me show them the young so badly. See your friends, see your enemy. Walk out madly. Watch it, make me show them the. Hey, give them the fear must walk with the fear must stand up. Keeping it jiggy with the fear must hands up. Fear must stand up with your legs them band up. Dress code a kill him and your fear must stand up. Fear must go to your fear must band up. Over the wall, y'all put on the brand up. This is Sesame Street. Walk out with them a plan up. Twins and twins and tweet and feel for big bird. Mr. Wacky and dance, everybody are observed. But by now, not talk. Why don't say a word? Cause we ready for our life, Monday, my curl. All the bubble them are doing. My youth, you never heard. Yes, that's the other first. What you think, say a third? So light up, actually, you would worry the herb. But the man is still around me now, go round the curve. Wogla seeds from pronoun to verb. Oh, bad man, we dancing. No match for word. We're going to lift them with Sam 23rd. So what them are selling? Oh, them are fighting Sam Sala Reggae. Them are dancing. Do this is a mystery. Take it to them in a way they win it. And them over there. So when they have a time again when Bogla dance and teach. All who see them are saying that they dance you need. Want to show them how fit with the new dance name Sesame Street. The new dance name Sesame Street. Everybody dance to the Sesame Street. Why do you teach them Sesame Street? From your can do it to the Sesame Street. I'm ready, 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 ready. Time again when Bogla dance and teach. All who see Come down when they know them are godly. Watch it, make me show them they are so badly. Them a sad pull, pull frag, be a bit tadly. Watch it, make me show them they are so badly. We not afraid of two fears. Who that want take Bradley? Watch it, make me show them they are so badly. See your friends, see your enemy. Walk out madly. Watch it, make me show them they. Hey, give them the fear must walk with the fear must stand up. Keeping it jiggy with your fear must hands up. Fear must stand up with your legs them band up. Dress code a kill them and your fear must stand up. Fear must go to your fear must band up. Over the wall, y'all put on the brand up. This is Sesame Street. Walk out with them a plan up. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard the Elephant Man with 
Sesame Street. And before that, an interview with Wycliffe Jean. The Rock and Roll Band Ministry is coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada as part of their, quote, farewell tour, perhaps? One thing that we won't be seeing the last of with Ministry is their devotion to hockey. Yes, Ministry have just unleashed a song called Keys to the City. And it is the official song now of the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, Al Jorgensen, living in Chicago, loves the Chicago Blackhawks and is going to unveil the song on March 5th, the same day that Thor is doing his own hockey rock in Vancouver at the Railway Club. Like 200 ministry fans are going to show up in Chicago and help usher in this song, Keys to the City by Ministry. This is the official song now of the Chicago Blackhawks by Ministry. Al Jorgensen loves his hockey. He loves it. I was thinking about hockey a bit because about a week ago, the Hives and the Donnas came through town. I first heard about the rock and roll band, the Hives, years ago when local rock and roll band, the Schmugglers, toured Europe and told me of a band that dressed like them, that sounded like them, except maybe were a few years younger and maybe a bit better looking in the Nordic variety. The Hives came to Vancouver last time, not last Friday, but before that, and the first thing they did, they phoned up their good buddies and the smugglers, and they phoned up the smugglers, and the smugglers took the Hives ball hockey playing. That was their invitation to the smugglers and vice versa, i.e. into some great sort of Swedish-Canadian love. The smugglers and the hives playing ball hockey. Well, it really shows how things have changed these days because what happened a week ago was did the hives phone up the smugglers to play ball hockey? No! The hives phoned up the Vancouver Canucks and actually skated with the Sedines at GM Place. So from the Smugglers Ball Hockey to GM Place and the Sedines, the Hives have really arrived. Although I will attribute that to being part of the Smugglers generation. For instance, the Hives hang with the Smugglers, and eventually they get to go skate with the Sedines. How does that play into other sort of forms of hockey and other people hopping aboard the Smugglers hockey bandwagon? Well... The Schmugglers had their annual Christmas party at Grant Lawrence of the Schmuggler's house a couple months ago during Christmas time. Might have even been the 22nd or 23rd of December. Maybe the 21st of December. I'm not exactly sure, but it was in the 20th. Maybe it was the 15th. Numbers are important here because there's like 15,000, 18,000, 20,000 people at GM Place. They weren't at the Schmuggler's Christmas party. However, certain members of the Vancouver Canucks additional team were there. And what I mean by additional team, there were certain members of the Vancouver Canuck organization that were there. And two acts that played the Smuggler's Christmas Party, Dan Mangan and the choir practice, both ended up singing anthems at the Canucks games that followed in January. So you attend a Smuggler's Party, you end up singing the anthem at the Pacific Coliseum. You play ball hockey with the Smugglers, next thing you know you play hockey with the Sedines. So it makes me think it's time for some Chicago Blackhawks hockey. And when you think of Chicago Blackhawks, who do you think of, aside from Al Jorgensen in Ministry and his song all about Chicago Blackhawks? You think about Bobby Orr. Yes, he finished his tour of duty with the Chicago Blackhawks. So after ministry, some Bobby Orr stories and then maybe even some Gila Fleur. So here it is, the brand new tune by ministry, Keys 
to the city the official song of the Chicago Black Hawks.
The trip from Paris Sound is a long trip, about 18 years long to be exact. Little changes in this small northern Ontario town, except for the seasons. Boating and fishing is the summer tourist attraction, and then comes the Arctic winds and snows of winter. And with the return of winter, another hockey season for the small fry of Paris Sound, where dreams of future stardom in the National Hockey League are born. Such was the case of one Robert Gordon Orr. I really think that everybody has a favorite team, but I think when a young boy is playing hockey, all the time he's playing, he wants to play in the NHL. He has a favorite team, but I, th I think the thing is he just wants to play in the NHL, and it doesn't matter where he plays. Bobby Orr was born on March 20, 1948, the son of Doug and Arva Orr. There was an older brother and sister, and later there would be two younger. I think, I think you would say we have a very close family, Don, although I... I haven't been home uh, much the last uh, four years that I've been here in Boston and when I was in Oshawa for four years. So I don't really get home that much. But I think we are a close family. Uh, I always had fun with my dad where we could do things together. We fished together. We traveled together. And he's just a heck of a guy. A lot of people here in Boston know him and, and he uh, just has a great time all the time. And my mother, she's uh, she's uh, doesn't like to travel as much as my dad, but. Uh, She's quite a girl. She's someone you got to meet, too. She handled me, so she had to do something, <laughs> and she could handle us all day. Uh, Ronnie, uh, it was funny. While I was home playing, Ronnie didn't play. I don't know what it was, maybe because I was playing. We played against each other a couple times, but I watched Ronnie play, and I thought he was a pretty good hockey player. Uh, Ronnie's a very quick on the wit, and uh, uh, he has a, runs a store back home. He's, he's a good businessman, Ronnie. Penny reminds a lot of people of Coley Hahn from laughing, and this is just how Penny is. She's quite a little girl, and Taggy just goes about his way. He doesn't bother anyone. He's good on, uh, on the skidoos. He handles both very well, and Taggy's a real good kid. I think Pat and I may have been the closest. Uh, uh, I mean, I was very close to all, all my brothers and sisters, but I think Pat and I were very uh, much closer than the others. I don't know why, but uh, I think this happens in all families where one will be a little closer to the other. She's married now and got a, a beautiful baby, a big Mike, and uh, she's just a wonderful, real great girl. Uh, I like Perry Sound. I think I'll always go back there. Good shopping areas. I go, I'd love to go back there. I always go back there. It's a slow-moving town. It's just a small town, not a lot of traffic. It's a great place to grow up. There's plenty to do. Uh, good fishing, good hunting. Uh, we do have theater and uh, beautiful parks. Uh, good clean water, good clean air. The, country is beautiful. It's, uh, it's a real great spot to be. This may come as a surprise to some, but skating didn't always come easy for Bobby Orr. As it is with most Canadian youngsters, he learned young. Doug Orr, Bobby's father, was there the day Bobby first took to the ice at age four. From then on, he just kept going, I guess. Mainly the hockey stick was just to keep him in balance when he was at that age because he used to run over on his ankles quite a bit. I don't really remember, but I would imagine I'd be the same as any young boy his first time on skates, I couldn't stand up. <laughs> I'd be over on my ankles. As he progressed uh, along with his skating, uh, he became very good with the hockey stick. He really started to show good hockey sense when he was nine years old, when he uh, started to play peewee hockey. And uh, I think that was the year that he won the Most Valuable Player Award for uh, Ontario as a peewee. I think that was around the same time that Boston first had a look at him. The best I can remember, Bob, is when we used to have a, uh, an outdoor rink down on the river. I lived on River Street, and we used to build a rink on the river, and uh, when Bobby was learning to skate very well then, and he used to get a puck and 
sort of play shinny with us, you know. And uh, he could really control a puck. And uh, I can always remember him then. His mother used to come and watch him over the riverbank. And he could go through a whole team there. And everybody wouldn't try to tackle him too hard, you know. But he could really control a puck then. I think that was when he was about nine that he really showed prominence as a hockey player. Uh, I was very lucky when I was young. When I started to skate, that we had plenty of ice. And it's very unfortunate. But I think there's a problem now with kids. They just don't, have, they just don't get the ice. I mean, we uh, didn't. Uh, we skated outside more than inside, and uh, uh, that's where we were fortunate. I can remember him shooting a puck against a piece of tin I had out in my garage here, and uh, he'd spend hours a day just shooting the puck. And I think he developed most of that himself. Bobby Orr's life as a boy in Parry Sound was exciting to him. School and hockey from September till June, and from June till September, well, that was reserved for fun. A little fishing and daydreaming of that life not yet lived. When did Bobby Orr decide for himself that a professional hockey career was his goal? Almost from the very beginning. I think uh, once I started playing hockey, I mean, we were playing for fun, and uh, uh, we got to go on trips and uh, playing hockey at home, uh, playing on different teams. We got a lot of ice time in the rink, which we liked. I, I think right from the start when I started playing, I, it, it was in my mind. Like I, like I said, every kid thought like this, you know, gee, I sure like to play in the NHL. I think it was in my mind right from the start. It's hard to remember a time when Bobby wasn't playing hockey, and he combined his hockey playing with his schooling. I've always been very lucky, Don, at home. I, I had great parents, great family, and great coaches. I went to Oshawa to play, and I went to high school in Oshawa. And again, I get to Oshawa, and I get the great, great coaches again, and I get the great people to live with. I think the people that I lived with in Oshawa, uh, Jack and Cora Wild and Bob and Bernie Ellesmere, uh, I think they were a little harder on me than, my, than their parents. I think it's just natural that they were because they're, they're afraid that we'd go astray or something. But they were just like our parents. I was very fortunate to have people like this. And perhaps as a youngster, you would listen to them a lot closer. Oh, I was, I was afraid. I was, I was a little, I wasn't scared of them, but uh, I listened to them. Uh, my parents taught me the respect of people, and, and, and uh, I did listen to them. <laughs> and uh, uh, with the traveling, playing junior hockey, we would practice after school, so we wouldn't miss for that. And the only time we might have missed a morning was when we played in Montreal, and we travel all uh, Sunday night and Monday morning to get back. Harry Tate, Bobby's school principal, remembers Bobby. He, uh, like many others, he enjoyed life and was a little mischievous at times, but he was a good average student that you could trust at any time. I am certainly very proud of him, both as pupil and as a player. Today, as he was then, Bobby Orr remains a humble person. All credit to any of his hockey success goes to his coaches. His very first coach as a youngster in Parry Sound was Royce Tennant. He was uh, generally always among the fun players that I had on the team. He was generally very uh, well accepted by the other players. He was possibly a leader in a quiet sort of way. He's good with people. I think he is much like... Gordy Howe with respect to doing hockey good. Later, former NHL defenseman Bucko McDonald guided Bobby's progress. I had to tell him fewer times than anybody else any mistake that he might make. I remember we were playing against this team from Aurora. Bobby made a couple of mistakes. He asked me to take him off defense. I said to Bobby, I said, uh, the only reason I said, did you ask me to take you off the defense because you made two mistakes out there and it cost us two goals? 
you know, it's kind of nice to see you make mistakes once in a while. It shows that you're human. And I said, the only reason it's noticeable to yourself is because you don't make them as often as the rest of the boys. And I just said, are you ready to go out? He said, yes, I am, Bucko. He said, uh, I'll be playing defense. And they haven't taken off there yet. What do you feel, Bobby, your coaches taught you that has been so valuable to you now as a pro? Well, anything. I think everything I do now, Don, I've been taught somewhere along the line by my coaches. Uh, I can name them uh, when I was at home with uh, Tommy Maxwell, Royce Tennant, Buckle McDonald. I go to Oshawa and I have Doug Williams, Jim Cherry, uh, Bep Quidlin. I come here to uh, to Boston. I have Harry Sinden and Tom Johnson. So, uh, I'm playing hockey and I do different things on the ice and someone has taught me these things. And uh, I've just tried to practice them, and uh, all these fellows have taught me different things. Bobby Orr's star really began to rise at age 12, and it all came about strictly by accident. With the Boston Bruins in the midst of a down cycle, a six-man task force headed by President Weston Adams Sr. began a methodical canvassing of every nook and cranny of Canada. It happened early in 1960, one afternoon in the small town of Gananoque, Ontario. They had come to look at two other players, but they came away raving about a third. Weston Adams Sr., Milt Schmidt, and Ren Blair remember everything about that day, but Bobby Orr just remembers that his team lost. I remember the baggy pants, the shock of uh, blonde hair, and playing defense, although he was one of the smallest men on the ice. He was 120 pounds, soaking wet. I wasn't too tall. I was 5'4", I guess. I guess 5'3 or 5'4", which isn't bad. What attracted me most, besides uh, his uniform and the way it fit him, was the fact that he was a defense man. He was the small boy out there, but he was the general. He was directing his own team. He was telling them what to do and doing it himself and seeing that they did it. Uh, the old expression of uh, he had uh, the look of eagles in his eye, uh, I think fits the situation very well. He just looked like he was destined for greatness in hockey. And after uh, two or three minutes of play, I turned to Lynn and I said, uh, there's a kid on that Perry Sound team that's either my eyes are going on me or something, but he looks like something out, outside of the normal sphere of hockey players at this age. I, I can remember the game. We got beat that game. Uh, watch that Perry Sound team for a moment and see if you uh, think it's the same player I do. And Lynn looked at me and he said, that little guy number two? And I said, yeah. And he said, isn't he something else? He certainly acted like a big leaguer at that time, moving the puck out of his own zone. I can recall the time. Uh, I can't recall how I played. Uh, and uh, uh, stick handling and shooting and certainly carried himself like a big, le big leaguer all the way. The, it all was worthwhile. Uh, as we all know, a real stroke of luck. And uh, when I say that, is that we were there to look at two other players, and we come up with a Bobby Orr. Lady Luck had smiled on the Boston Bruins' future that afternoon, and then Ren Blair drew the assignment of coaxing Bobby's parents into letting him sign the form that would lock him into the fantastic Boston Bruins and NHL career that is now history. I was able to get Bobby to agree to come to our junior tryout camp at Niagara Falls, which was always held the week prior to Labor Day. And uh, he, he just birthed that camp up at 14 years of age. And uh, Weston was so enthused about him that uh, he suggested that I uh, give up the normal Labor Day holiday weekend and uh, go to Perry Sound, that it was imperative that we get this boy signed. Well, the first person to contact uh, 
Us and Perry saw him was Ren Blair, who was then the general manager of the Oshawa Generals, who also worked for the Bruins. And, uh, of course, we had other people, too, like Scotty Bowman, who was head scout for Montreal Canadiens, and Jimmy Skinner, who was with Detroit, Bob Davidson with the Leafs. But I think the, uh, the guy that bothered us the most was Ren. And uh, every time you turned around, Ren Blair was always visiting us, or when he had the uh, Kingston Frontenacs, I think, he used to detour them through Perry Sound on his way north just so he could stop in and say hello to us. And he invited me up for a couple of trips with him to see a couple of games, but he was bound and bent that he was going to get Bobby to sign with his Oshawa General. I took my wife and uh, went up there for the weekend and spent nearly all day Sunday talking with the family because Mrs. Orr just felt that this boy was too young to leave home. And after all, she had a good point. Here's a, here's a youngster, 14, and still in grade 8, just graduating at a public school, uh, talking about going away from home. And uh, I didn't get him on the Sunday, and I stayed overnight and went back in on the Monday and talked also with... Uh, uh, Doug Orr, the father and the mother, and finally around noon hour that day, I eventually got Bobby to sign that card. Uh, I guess I was 13 or 14 when I signed the contract, and at that time, uh, they could sign boys uh, uh, my age or any age, I guess, and they were then owned by the Boston Bruins or whichever team signed them at to a contract. I feel very proud that I was able to have a part in signing Bobby I even feel to this day that if there was any community that deserved the next superstar in hockey, which was then coming in, in Bobby Orr, that the people of Boston uh, deserved him. And Bobby, why did you finally pick the Bruins? They were in last place at the time. I wanted to play pro hockey. And maybe I thought it might be the easiest team to try and make. I mean, uh, uh, I don't think there was anywhere for the Boston Bruins to go but up. They, they were in last place. So uh, maybe I felt that that, that was a the easiest place to go or the easiest thing to try and make and they had to go up and uh, I'm sure glad I went with them. And the Bobby Orr career was launched. 14 goals his first year, 30 goals and a new record his second year. The entire hockey world was buzzing. But what about Bobby? Had his success changed him? We talked to some of his hometown people. Bob Holmes, who runs Holmes Marina, Doug Janak, where Bobby worked summers in his store, and Bobby's brother, Ron. I, I first met Bobby when he was a kid, of course, playing in the minor system. But I, I never really got to know him personally until he turned junior in Toronto, and I used to drive him back and forth to the games. On your trips back and forth to the games, uh, what did Bobby think and talk about most? Oh, he talked uh, a lot about hockey, of course, and, uh, and his schooling. He was very interested in a lot of varied sports. Did you ever imagine in those days that uh, Bobby would make it as far as he has in the National Hockey League? Well, I think people thought of it, but I don't think anyone believed that he would go as far as what he had at, at his present age. Fishing next to hockey is his favorite uh, recreation. Uh, I would imagine that when Bobby comes home in the off-season, that uh, that's probably the first thing he heads for. We have his boat ready for him and ready to go, and he just comes down, and he goes right straight to Moon River with some of his friends. They always come back with a real good catch. He worked in our store here when he was uh, um, probably 14 and 15 years old. He was playing junior A hockey at that time for Oshawa. Bob worked in here as a stock boy. He also sold merchandise and uh, was quite a good boy. Uh, Bobby hasn't changed uh, as far as I'm concerned from 
the days when he was 14 and 15, except he's more mature now. There was one incident that I can remember of Bob that when he used to play for Oshawa Generals. Uh, Oshawa came up here to play one time, and uh, they were playing against our junior C's as an exhibition game. And a little scuffle got out in the ice there, and Bob was out in the ice, and so was I. I can remember one time him knocking me down. <laughs> so he always talked about hockey, and he was always at the arena. And but when it comes, he was always a sportsman, anyways, coming to fishing and not too much hunting. But he always liked fishing and out in the boat. When he comes home to Perry Sound, uh, he's the same. I mean, he talks to all the people he used to know, and uh, he doesn't like talking that much about hockey when he comes home. He just likes to enjoy himself. But I don't think it's changed him at all. Bobby continued to set new records in the OHA despite tremendous competition. I'm sure. Uh... Uh, out of 20 guys, there's got to be 15 playing pro hockey right now. Gary Smith, who plays played goal, plays goal for Oakland. Mike Walton, Britt Selby, Ron Ellis, Jimmy Keon, Dave Keon's brother. Jimmy McKenney plays for Toronto. Uh, like Al Smith was in there, wasn't he? Al Smith, Al yeah. The yes, the goaltender. And Wayne Cashman played Wayne, with you. Wayne Cashman played with me. Wayne Carlton. And the name, those names, those fellas all play one team. <laughs> and we were playing against them, but... Uh, Cash, I played with Cash in Oshawa, Danny O'Shea, who are Danny in Minnesota, and Cash, of course, here in Boston, are two of the players I played with in Oshawa. The records continued to fall. 34 goals at age 16, more all-star honors. But now the once half-pint defenseman had grown into a solid 5'11", 180-pounder. The Boston Bruins were ready for Bobby Orr, and Bobby was ready to face the sternest test of his young life. At age 18, Bobby Orr signed his first professional contract. It took place on a boat in the wee hours of the Ontario morning. Uh, it was in Barrie, Ontario. I was working uh, at, a, at a boys' camp, and I got a call from Alan Eagleson, my attorney, and he said, uh, why don't you drop in at my cottage on the way home? I go, would go near his cottage. So I dropped by his cottage, and my dad is there with a friend of his, Alec Eager, and uh, Al's there, and he says, you're going to turn pro today. And I was, I was surprised, but I was very happy. We drove to Barrie to a, a yacht harbor where Mr. Ems had his boat and uh, went aboard his boat and uh, uh, fought for a little while. <laughs> Finally, we got the pen out, and I signed my first pro contract. Do you recall that first day at the Bruins training camp in London? I room with Johnny Busick, and uh, uh, Chief walked in, and I recognized him, but he introduced himself. And, I said, uh, uh, Mr. Busick, how are you? He says, hey, 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 watch that mister. He says, either Chief or John. <laughs> but uh, And don't think that didn't help. For a guy to come in and say that to a, a kid that's, that's scared skinny, it really relaxed me, and the Chief really looked after me. All the guys looked after me. They were very good to me. First game in a Bruins uniform during the regular season. Do you recall anything of that? Oh, yes. Uh, it was against Detroit, and... Uh, and I came to the dressing room, I think I was in there at 4.30 or 5 o'clock for an 8 o'clock game, so I was there. You always did like to arrive early. I like to go early, yes, but uh, I was very nervous this night. This was my big night. And uh, that night I got I got a point that night. We, we won the game. I can remember we won the game. I got a point, and after the game, the reporters came to me, and they said, geez, that was just a heck of a play you made. And what happened, I had the puck at the blue line, and I went to take a shot, and I fanned on the shot. And it just slid along the ice. I, you know, I think it was the chief. I think chief put it in. And uh, I went to shoot. I was shooting at the net, but I found on the shot, and I just, 
So it kind of looked like I made the pass to Chief, but I really didn't, and they thought it was a heck of a play. <laughs> but actually, I was trying to shoot the puck, and I, I missed it, and it just slid along very easy to Chief, and Chief put it in the net, so it was my first point. Do you remember your first goal in a Bruins uniform? Yeah, it was against uh, uh, Montreal Canadiens, I think. You're right. And uh, uh, that was a big throw for me, I can remember. It was a short blue line shot, and I can remember that. Do you remember who was in the nets that night? Comfortly. Yeah, <laughs> Comfort was in the net. The rest is chronological history. Four record-breaking years and Boston's first Stanley Cup in 29 long years. And for Bobby Orr, enough personal hardware to sink a battleship. Ron, did you ever dream way back then when Bobby was a youngster that he had achieved the success that he has today, that of a superstar? No, not really. Well, when we first went to Oshawa, playing junior A, at the time that Ren Blair uh, found him, he told us himself that Bobby could be a very good hockey player. But here's an ironic twist. Doug and Arva Orr, where Bobby always got inspirational guidance as a youngster in Parry Sound, neither of his parents saw perhaps his biggest goal of his young career, his Stanley Cup winning goal. Orr beats Anderson behind the net. Back to Orr. I'd been upstairs and downstairs, all the place was full. I must have been 25 or 30 in here, and they had the TV on upstairs, and you could have cut the smoke upstairs with a knife. And there, and I was on the steps so I could move, because, see, I can't sit still. That's why it bothers me to get me in the gardens down there, and I've got to sit there. And uh, when we needed the overtime, I took off. But I did see watch the replay. What were your thoughts even when you saw the replay? Well, by that time, this place was in such a... You couldn't hear yourself then. Everybody was yelling and shouting. That rotting them came over in a bunch of them. But uh, I, I, I never thought of him getting the goal. I mean, I really... When we the over, I mean, I knew they would... I figured they'd win the Stanley Cup because we were all right. We could win another game. But I didn't... I never thought of him getting the goal. When the game was tied, I went out underneath the stands and I was walking back and forth under there and... Uh, all of a sudden, I heard the big roar go up, and I heard somebody yell, or scores, and that's the first time I knew he scored the goal. Two oars. Bobby and his dad, Doug. Congratulations, Bobby, on a tremendous victory. Thanks, Don. It's, uh, uh, it's so great. I don't, I don't want to say. This team, unbelievable. The guys that are hurt, they're out yelling for us between periods. They're in the stands. They're fighting for us. The guys that are playing goaltending, we put everything together. It's just a great bunch of guys. Great. Doug, how do you feel about it? This is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> Ever since I... Uh, I keep believing it, Bobby. I wait for this. I was not watching the game, but I was there. But I want to tell you one thing. My wife is at home, and she is crying right now. This is the happiest day of my life. This is the happiest day of my life. I, I couldn't wish for anything else. And what about Bobby's future? His sister, Penny, had her own thoughts. I hope he continues to be in the National Hockey League and, uh, you know, that he has a, you know, a few more years left and that he marries eventually. And I hope his wife is what he, you know, what he wants. As long as he's happy, I'm happy. This has been one side of Bobby Orr. What of Bobby Orr's future? What worlds are still left unconquered? Bobby, uh, you say you don't set goals. If you did, there'd be very few left that haven't been reached. Uh, it'd be nice to reach them again. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I've set goals like, a, like a, we'd like to end up in first place this year. It's got to be, a, I, I've set a goal. And also win another Stanley Cup because of, 
if everyone is as much fun as the first ones, it's something to, to look forward to. It's something to fight for because you had to be part of it. You had to be there to, to see and feel the feeling of what, being a champion. It was just unbelievable. You can't really describe it. Uh, the parade, the dinner, the dinner we had, it was, it was just a feeling you just can't describe. You just had to be part of it. It was just unbelievable. And don't bet against it either. Once you have mastered a good shot, you must learn when to use it. It's important when you practice your shots to always shoot towards the target. Control of any shot comes from a close or open blade. To keep the shot low, close the blade. And to shoot it high, all you have to do is open the blade. Remember that backhand shots are more difficult because of the curved stick. goaltender never carry the puck in front of you because he knows you cannot shoot from that position. The goalie takes one look, he reads deek or pass, and he backs up. Don't tell him what you're gonna do. Don't give him the additional advantage. Scoring goal is tough enough without giving the goalie the edge. Carry the puck beside you. Now you have him guessing. Then, if the goalie backs up to the crease, shoot. If he stays out, deek. The attacker always has to react to the goalie's position. This is why freedom of thought at high speed is so important. At 35 miles per hour, with two or three guys chasing me, I have about a quarter of a second to look, analyze, and react. So you should never predetermine what you're gonna do. You've got to be able to think on the spot. as a live presentation of CITR News. CITR 101.9 FM presents News 101. Vancouver.